For decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome back. I'm Christina Dent, your host, along with Mike Madison, my co-host and producer. We're coming off of several incredible in-person events here in Mississippi with End It For Good. So End It For Good is a podcast, but the podcast is just one initiative of End It For Good, the nonprofit. Um, Actually, our hallmark initiative is in-person discussion dinners. Uh, And we've hosted 19 of them now with over 625 people that have come. Uh, We typically do one per month, and our last one was in Mississippi's fourth largest city um, in November of 2019. Uh, We had an incredible turnout of 120 people, including the mayor. Um, This was right after election, so incoming and outgoing sheriffs, incoming and outgoing district attorneys, doctors, university professors. This is a uh, university town, faith leaders, um, five judges, some at the federal, some at the local level. It was just really amazing to see so many influential people enter into this conversation and the incredibly positive responses that we heard. So how these work is that I give a 30-minute presentation based on my TEDx Jackson talk on why we need to regulate the market for all drugs. And then attendees have one minute to give their feedback. So we intentionally create a safe, respectful, non-combative environment so that people are genuinely welcome to say whatever they think. Uh, But we had so many positive responses from people in influential positions, and that really gave everyone uh, a sense that we're really moving on drug policy away from punishment and at least considering regulation. So if you're interested in joining us in person, you can go to enditforgood.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our email list. Uh, We send out those dates and ticket information to our uh, email subscribers, also on our Facebook page. But Mississippi is not the only place that exciting things are happening uh, on how we approach drugs. So last year, Canada made adult use of marijuana legal nationwide, and now Mexico is considering the same thing. So our guest today is Zara Snap, who has been deeply involved in that movement. Zara, welcome to the show. Hi, Christina. Hi, Mike. Thanks for the invitation. So Zara is the co-founder of Instituto RIA, a nonprofit organization that focuses on research and advocacy for legal regulation specific to countries where substances are produced. Uh, She formed part of the Secretariat of the Global Commission on Drug Policy from 2014 to 2017. She's also a writer and speaker on innovative public policies related to the regulation of psychoactive substances. She has a degree in political science from the University of Colorado, and as a Truman Scholar and Public Service Fellow, she received a Master's in Public Policy from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. She is a powerhouse. (laughs) She's been involved (laughs) in the global effort to end the war on drugs for years, long before I ever even knew about this issue. Uh, Zara, how did you get interested in how we approach drugs? Well, you know, now when I look back on my life, I think it's, they've always kind of been part of my existence. Um, when I was a teenager, most of the people I was hanging out with were using and selling drugs um, just because of the people I chose to surround myself with. And, and um, you know, people who were feeling or having experienced some sort of injustice, I was naturally attracted to, to be around those people. And... Um, and I really saw how my friends who entered the justice system, this was in Colorado, how, when they entered the justice system, how hard it was to get out of the, of that, of that, mm-hmm. of being on probation for three months. And then you, you know, you, you miss a drug test 
missed or you miss a meeting and so then they extend your probation for another six months and then you and then maybe you don't go to a meeting and you have to they put you in jail for three months so it was just one of those things where I saw how people got wrapped up into this system and how hard it was to get out of that and then I saw other folks who maybe they you know we experimented but then everything was fine and we went on to you know live successful lives in in quotations successful lives mm-hmm. um and i don't and it was really it's always and then there are people who maybe developed some problematic or chaotic use and and some of them came out of it and some of them didn't um and it was just always hard for me to understand why some people were able to move through this without having those problems and others weren't um and then when I came to Mexico after doing my, I mean, I was born in Mexico, so I returned to Mexico. Um, after my master's, I got offered a job doing this work, and I started to see it from a different angle, from the angle of what it means to have the military on the streets as the public security force. Um, so rather than having, well, we have police officers, but no one pays that much attention to them. But you do have, you know, going through checkpoints, military checkpoints, and you knew that what they were looking for supposedly were these drug trafficking organizations. But really what you felt was a great amount of fear going through any Mm. of those checkpoints, even if you weren't doing anything wrong. Um, And so I started to look at it from different angles. And I think, and you probably have experienced this too, Christina, like as you begin to look at this issue, no matter what way you look at it, whether it's from a health perspective or a human rights perspective or an economic perspective, you just think this isn't working mm-hmm. and it's actively creating harm, this right. policy. And so you're, I don't know. I mean, I feel like now that I'm in it and I've been in it for about a decade, I don't see myself getting out of this work until we see big changes. And I'm really excited about the big changes that we're starting to discuss. Um, I think we're seeing more changes now in the last five years than we did in the previous 50. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, so that's exciting. And it's also exciting how our discourses um, and the and the work that we're doing is just spreading to be way more diverse. And it's, mm-hmm. the conversation is much more interesting when there are so many people talking about this. Um, so I feel really grateful that I get to work on something that I feel passionately about and that I that I can see from those different angles, you know, from having grown up in the United States, but being and living in Mexico, seeing it from that angle, too. So what is it um, like south of... So yeah, I feel that's how I, that's how I got started, and now I can't imagine shifting gears because there's just too much happening. Um, and also because you just you just see how this has caused so many of the structural problems that we see in our societies. So what is it like south of the border um, right now in terms of uh, cartel violence? Had a, you know, most Americans kind of are, were removed from that because it's not in, in our neighborhood, um, even though it is south of our border. Uh, what is it like for families in Mexico related to kind of how they experience the drug war? Well, I think it's, there are similarities with the United States in that the way that you experience the drug war really depends on your socioeconomic status. Um, in the United States, it's very race-based um, and class-based. And here in Mexico, it's very class-based. You know, really, 
and and you know I can talk about these issues and I do as a white woman who lives within a very privileged space. Um, and so, you know, if, if you or someone else from the United States were to just come to Mexico, you won't even feel like anything's happening because you'll come to nice places and, and it's, you know, uh, it's beautiful and there's the culture is, is vibrant and there's people in the plaza and, you know, it's, it, there's, there's life. It's not, it's not like the country is, um, feels dead. But if you go to certain communities, if you go to certain places, that's where you notice that something's wrong, that there's a tension, that it's really not about that everything's tranquil. It's more that everybody's on guard and being aware of what's going on around them. And this is something, um, and so, and when you look at, you know, the people that have been killed in the drug war, it's primarily young men and young poor men. And so, and that's where also I think as society we can say, oh, this isn't, this isn't really happening or this isn't that important because it's, it's when it starts to impact, and you're seeing this in the United States too, it's when it starts to impact mainstream, and not even mainstream, but like elite, that's when you can see some of this, um, you know, more political action taking place. So here in Mexico, you know, you see it because you hear on the news or because you see it um, in the data. But so we, this last year, you know, we had 30,000 people who were killed, and they estimate that um, probably close to 75% of those are related to organized crime. Mm. So whether it's related to frontal combat between the military or other um, authorities and civilians, and they kill them, which we have very high levels of, of um, you guys would call it like police brutality, mm. and we would say it's use of force against civilian populations. And then it's also groups that are fighting over territory and over certain spaces that they would like, you know, routes that they believe are important because mm -hmm. it's the way that they're either, it's not just about drugs, you know, it's also about human trafficking and about other um, about other ways that they get involved. And so, um, so, so it's really much more diverse, but I think, you know, the way that you see it is you hear these stories, like the one that I know you heard at the, at the conference a few weeks ago, um, which was a family that was traveling, a family that was traveling in a caravan um, women and children that were that were killed and that were shot up and then their cars were burned um, and nine people were killed, including six children. And this, what you see, and this is a this is a family that comes from um, a, a Mormon community in the north. So they have dual citizenship, U.S. and Mexico. And every time that something horrible like that happens, we all think maybe this will be the the case or this will be the story that makes us wake up and change how we're the strategy that we're undertaking. But, you know, we've been saying this and thinking this since 2011. And so Julian Levaron, who's the head of the, that family um, where the women were killed, the women and these children, 
Julian Levaron in 2011 joined a caravan that we had organized, several caravans that Javier Sicilia had organized. He's a poet here in Mexico whose son was killed um, in drug war related mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so his, he started to do caravans across the country to allow victims to speak from their own perspective. And this is something that hadn't been done before. So previously, victims had been very criminalized. When you went to denounce that a family member had been disappeared or had been killed, the, the most common response was, oh, but what did they do? You know, what were they up to? Who were they spending time with? So it's this re-criminalization of someone and of their family. Um, and so Javier Cecilia began to organize these caravans And we did a very important caravan actually across the United States, um, starting in California and going um, all the way up, you know, through Chicago, up to New York um, and ending in Washington, D.C. And we also went through the South and then went up. Um, And it was a way to bring bring attention to what was going on in Mexico. And that was in 2012. And Julian Levaron had joined the caravan because his brother, he had had a brother who'd been kidnapped um, and then was rescued and a different brother who had been killed. And so he had spoken out a lot about the violence that was going on. And that's another thing you see, you know, you when people become activists and start to speak out about what's going on, oftentimes there are repercussions against them. Um, and I think what's hard in these situations is that um, there isn't a lot of clarity. We know that there is illegal trafficking of drugs that is happening and that um, groups are trying to ensure that those routes are, you know, cleared so that Mm -hmm. they can move it through. And they're fighting over territory. And it's fascinating to me, too, because, you know, you see all of these things and you hear these stories from here in Mexico because it's a market that is regulated with violence, Mm -hmm. um, a criminal market regulated with violence. But then in the United States, you hardly ever hear about that kind of violence, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like once folks cross the border, or once these drugs cross the border, all of a sudden the violence that's generated by it drops. And that has to do a lot with the fact that here in Mexico, we have high rates of impunity. So if you commit a crime, it's very unlikely that you will be investigated and prosecuted for that crime. Whereas in the United States, it's much more likely that that will happen. And so people don't commit those crimes. So what is happening now with Mexico on uh, marijuana policy? So Mexico has had so much of, like you were talking about, so many homicides every year, um, increasing number as they um, uh, use their military to fight the drug war on the, the streets of civilian towns. Um, but Mexico is making some changes. So what's happening now uh, on at least marijuana policy in Mexico? Yeah, so we are making some big changes because the harms have been too great. Um, And this comes from a huge effort on the part of civil society and of activists. And, you know, for many years, we were trying to present bills in the Senate or in the Congress, and we didn't see a lot of traction. And so um, a lawyer, Andres Aguinaco, came up with a strategy of let's use the judicial branch. So we started taking cases here in Mexico, they're called where essentially you are um, showing that the government, through some sort of some law, 
is violating rights. And so we, he started, he took the first case that started in 2012 and it was resolved in 2015 um, to the Supreme Court. And that case showed, and the judges, the Supreme Court decided that the absolute prohibition of cannabis was inconstitutional, was unconstitutional, because it violates a right that we have, which is to the free development of personality. And so what the people in that case were asking for was the right to cultivate for their personal use. So the Supreme Court recognizes that and gives them, you know, resolves in their favor. But here in Mexico, it's not enough to get one Supreme Court case like in the United States. You have to get five. And wow. Five. <laughs> That's a big a deal. Five at one after each other and using the same criteria and winning by the same number of votes or more. So wow. um, we had won that the first case in 2015, and then um, Andres started calling other people who else wants to, you know, take cases. And so he, he took my case, and over the next four years, three years, from 2015 to 2018, he argued the other cases. And there was one other case that he didn't argue, but he helped kind of with the strategy. Um, and so October 31st of last year, 2018, we won the fifth case that we needed to get jurisprudence, which is when then it becomes the law of the land. Okay. Um, and so that may, means that anybody who applies and uses the same argumentation and goes before a judge, their case should be resolved the same way. But it doesn't mean that any person can cultivate for personal use. So it becomes, it's still an onerous process if you want to cultivate cannabis. But what, what other, the other piece that happens is that the Supreme Court sends a notification to the Senate and the Congress and says you have 90 days to change the law so that these articles in our health law are not unconstitutional, which is essentially striking down prohibition. Mm -hmm. It's a bit similar to, to, you know, the Moore Act in that they're trying to reduce, they're trying to decriminalize, essentially. Um, but the Senate obviously has the opportunity in this case to, to propose a much broader bill that can regulate the market and not just decriminalize. Hmm. So they had a certain number of days, and it was going to be October 31st of this year. They were going to have to pass the law by then. But the Senate, they asked for an extension to the Supreme Court. They said, oh, this is so complicated. We need more time. Um, and so they, um, they gave them until April 30th, 2020, to pass a bill in both houses. So now, I mean, there's, there are people who are still taking forward court cases so that they can cultivate for themselves. And we've been, you know, thinking about this is important also for some of our colleagues who cultivate um, under kind of uh, difficult circumstances in states like Guerrero. Um, but the Senate now has a mandate, and they and it's been the Senate who's mainly taken up this issue to really ins to to pass uh, a more comprehensive bill, and that's expected then to happen. They're probably not going to review it this year because they're in the middle of reviewing their budget, but um, we expect it to to continue next year. And as a civil society organization, um, we started a a coalition called Regulation for Peace because we really believe that this regulatory model can form part of the peace-building process here in mm -hmm. Mexico if you do it right. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's been kind of how we got to this moment, which is an exciting political moment. But it, it, it's not built, and I think that's why it's so interesting, the work you're doing. It's not built on, you know, political will from the president, even though he says he supports, you know, changes in strategies, or from the minister, the, the secretary of governance, who's a powerful figure and who proposed these changes. It really comes from the people. And so you have to, mm-hmm. it has to be part of a larger cultural um, shift, public opinion shift, that then force, and, and obviously we have this, these Supreme Court cases that are pushing this to happen because otherwise politicians wouldn't have done it on their own. Mm-hmm. So what do you feel most hopeful about right now related to drug policy? What, what, what makes you most excited to see happening? Well, what makes me excited is that we're no longer having a conversation of whether to regulate or not, and I think this is happening in a lot of places, but rather how to regulate. And I think that that's the more, it's a more interesting conversation because, you know, when you think about should we regulate or not, it's like, well, we should because prohibition hasn't worked mm-hmm. and because, right. um, in fact, it causes harm and because governments, what they know how to do is regulate, you know, and they do it with alcohol and tobacco and medications and flame resistant things and flame retard- All They do it with mm-hmm. all these different um, products that we have. What they haven't been able to do successfully is prohibit, and even more in the case of drugs. And so now we get to have a conversation about how do we regulate, but how do we regulate with a social justice focus, thinking about who has been harmed by these policies, and how do we begin to think about repairing those harms. And so in Mexico, it's about communities that have cultivated these substances or these plants for decades, but who've been criminalized who've been put into jail, who've been, um, who don't have any rights in this market. You know, they can't, they can't say, this is the price I want. It's more like somebody else tells them what the price will be. And so for us, it's about how do we create some economic justice within this market. Um, and so that's why I hope that here in Mexico we can do this. And that's my big hope, and it, it makes me really excited. How can we regulate so that those folks really can maintain and continue to be part of this market rather than us giving away this business to large Canadian companies, because it's primarily Canadian companies that are lobbying um, here in Mexico. Zara Snap, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you guys. And once we have passed the bill here, I'd love to come back on and explain it to all of you. Awesome. You can connect with Zara on Twitter and Instagram at Zara Snap. That's Z-A-R-A-S-N-A-P-P. If you're new to the podcast and you're wondering, well, if criminalizing drugs is so harmful, why on earth did we do it in the first place? Uh, We would love to tell you. So episodes six, seven, and eight are a three-part series with Johan Hari, who is the author of the book Zara just talked about, Chasing the Scream, um, New York Times bestselling book. Uh, It's on the first and last days of the war on drugs. And you will likely be uh, as surprised as I was at the origins of our modern drug war. Why did we actually prohibit these substances? And then how did the United States take our prohibition stance and export it to the rest of the world, countries like Mexico that have had um, incredible violence because of it? It does not have to be this way. We can end so much of the violence south of our border, the violence in our own communities, when we end a criminal approach to drugs for good. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. 
Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.